And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Man, that's good singing. Well, let me go over here and get my stuff. Well, good morning. Um, oh, hey, good to have the kids in here. We love, New Life loves kids. And Mandy was exactly right. If, if one of the kids or a hundred of the kids get a little fidgety, it's okay. Uh, we're just glad to have them in church this morning rather than in bed or a thousand other places they could be. Um, I will mention quickly, let me grab this down here, uh, Advent is starting and we have a couple things for you. We have these kids packets that Pastor Mandy and her team put together. Uh, they're free. Take one as you leave uh, if you have children so that you can do family uh, Advent together and devotionals. Uh, our very own uh, Brad Whitaker. Brad, where are you? I think you're in here somewhere. Oh, there he is, uh, has uh, been writing some devotionals that we will email out also uh, to the adults uh, for Advent. And then one other thing is we have a Louis Giglio book back there um, that will walk us through Advent together as well as a church family. And so we would encourage you to take one of those if you have five bucks to donate on behalf of one of these books, great. If you don't, take it, and I'll just take it out of the teen budget. <laughs> uh, well, we're uh, going to look at Luke chapter 10 today. Um, as we continue our series, we've been talking over the last uh, week or so about the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter. And this series is not about the physical heart, you know, that's beating inside of your chest right now, but we're talking about uh, the spiritual heart. Um, the heart, according to the Bible, is where our spirit spiritual makeup is. It's the place where our emotions, our desires, it's, it's, what, it's what makes us who we are. That's the heart I, that I'm talking about over these few weeks. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, even if you did not grow up in church, you very likely have heard at least the phrase, the Good Samaritan, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and, and really, the story is about the way we, we treat people. Um, but even more than that, it's about the way we should treat people who are nothing like us. And most of us would agree that it's difficult for us to love people and to treat people well who are nothing like us. You know, because, we, you know, we live in a society that Never in the history of humanity has it preached love and acceptance and all that stuff more than is being preached today, and yet sometimes we don't do it so well, right? Um, sometimes we, we think that 
if, if you disagree with me or I disagree with you, not only do I disagree with you or you disagree with me, but we, we take it to the next level of going, you're my enemy. And, and that's, just, that's just nonsense. Uh, Chris and I disagree with each other a lot. She's my wife, my beautiful bride down here. Let's give her a round of applause. She's going to have a little disagreement after church. Um, but forgiveness is a huge part of mine and Krista's uh, relationship, right? I mean, Krista always forgives me when she's wrong. Um, sometimes we even argue in what we call in the pastor's house, as you know, aggressive fellowship. And I'm happy to have her let her have the last word. That's just how relation… In fact, I'm, I'm glad when she gets to it, right? So, <laughs> she knew I was going to be teasing her this morning. Um, you, do you know what one of the big things, Chris and I… You want a little inside scoop of what me and Krista have aggressive fellowship over quite often at her house? You want to know? I'll just tell you. We don't have any services following this, so is it okay if I take my time? All right, let me show you. Here's, here's one of our big points of aggressive fellowship at our house. It happened the other day. Um, what I do when I need a little snack, I will walk into the kitchen and I will just pull out several handfuls of cereal and just, you know, like I'm a cow or something. I just start, I just like dry cereal, right? Uh, kids, do you like cereal? Okay, kids, on the count of three, I want you to holler out your favorite cereal of all time, all right? Here we go, kids. One, two, three. <laughs> well, yeah, so the other day I, I went in, I did my thing, and I was getting some handfuls of cereal, and Krista gets a little aggressive fellowshipy at me. Um, because apparently I eat like half the box when I do that, and I'm not even sitting down with a bowl of milk or anything. And, and that, seriously, is one of the things we argue about at our house. Can I tell him what you called me the other day? No, I'm not going <laughs> to. You don't want me to be that transparent. Um, well, Jesus is going to tell a story and say, you know, I know it's hard to love people with whom you have nothing in common, all right? He's just going to put that out there. But, but he's also saying you're never more like me than when you love people whom, with whom you have nothing in common. The, the, the gospel is pretty simple. Uh, you're never more like Jesus than when you can lay down your life for someone with whom you disagree or have nothing in common. Well, before we get to the parable, we need to understand the conversation that prompts it. So Luke chapter 10, and if you don't have your Bibles, yeah, we got it up here on the screen. Uh, don't you appreciate the university allowing us to meet together here once just to be together? That's awesome stuff. <clears throat> uh, verse 25, and just keep your Bibles open to this, all right? One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, stop there. Uh, this guy is an expert in religious law. He's coming to test Jesus. He, this guy asked Jesus a really good question, but he has bad motives behind it. 
He wants to know what he should do to inherit eternal life. And so right off the bat with these bad motives behind this guy trying to test Jesus, we see that this guy is being, in a sense, combative with Jesus. This guy is someone with whom it would be difficult for, for Jesus, if I were Jesus, it would be difficult for me to love this guy. Um, anyone have someone like that in your life? It's just difficult to love. Can, it's okay. It's, it's you know, are, are they with you now? Are they? <laughs> um, you know, what do you do when they're being combative? What do you do when, when they're coming at you? The, the tendency is to get defensive. The tendency is to fight back. But let's read on. Jesus doesn't get defensive. He simply asks a question. Verse 26. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, this is something that the rabbi would have known since he was a little boy in rabbi school, right? Um, it's basically the summary of, of the Old Testament laws, and Jesus would even reaffirm it in the New Testament that to love God and love people. It's, it's really that simple. And then this man pushes back even more. Look at verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I'll stop there. This this guy thinks that in this moment he has thrown Jesus for a theological loop. You know, to a Jew living in the first century, a neighbor would have been another Jew who talked like him or walked like him or lived like him. That would be his neighbor. Um, a, a, a Gentile would have said, my neighbor is someone who talks like me, someone who eats the same food I eat, someone who lives like me. A Samaritan would have said, my neighbor is another Samaritan. And, and so this guy wants Jesus to define the neighborhood, and, th and this is what prompts the story that Jesus tells. Now look at the first part of verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Now stop there. This, this is a fictional story, but it has real-life details in it. Jerusalem was a real place. Jericho was a real place. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very real road. Some of you have heard it referred to as the Jericho Road, right? Um, and this road connecting Jerusalem and Jericho was about 17 miles long. It was notoriously dangerous. And in those 17 miles, it tells us that it dropped 3,600 feet all right, so you can picture this steep, how it sharply descends, lots of rocky valleys and passes. And there was a certain section of this road that was called the Pass of the Blood because there were hillsides and caves in this section of the road where people could hide out in. And they would jump out and they would rob people as they came through that section. And as, as Jesus is telling the story, I'm sure someone in the crowd says, oh yeah, I had a camel break down there once. I thought I'd never get out alive. The, the people would have completely understood the scenario of what Jesus was saying. Now, verse 30. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. Verse 31. By chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed 
to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, the priest is someone who should have stopped and helped the guy, right? Right? Yeah. Um, and we always beat up the priest. We always go, that dirty loser of a priest, he's no priest, he, you know, he's a jerk. But let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt for a moment, all right, this priest. Um, he may have been on his way to conduct religious services in the next town, which means that he would have had to go through this seven-day ritual of purification to be prepared to lead those religious services. And, and we don't do that anymore. We don't go through a seven-day ritual to lead a service, though I did jump in the shower before I came. You're welcome. But I've not been through a seven-day purification process, which is what this guy very likely had done. The priest may be thinking, you know what, if I stop and I help him, this could be a trap. I could get mugged myself. Then I can't help those people over in Jericho. Or if this guy dies on me while I'm helping him, I would be then considered unclean. I'd have to go back, go through the purification process again. I'll miss the 9 a.m. service, right? And so... In a sense, the priest maybe is thinking, you know, I'm going to bypass this one so I can help many others. We're just giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? We're, we're reading in between the lines here. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Same deal. Now, what Jesus said next would have shocked Everybody in that day, in that time, in that culture listening. Look at verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, you have to understand that the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans were happy to return the favor and despised the Jews. Verse 32. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, we typically identify with one of the people walking by. We typically try to categorize people or categorize ourselves and go, would I be the priest that just walked by shamelessly? Would I be the Levite that just walked by and didn't help when I should have walked, you know, or, or would I be the Good Samaritan? But this morning, Jesus wants us to identify with the guy lying in the ditch, all right? The guy lying there in the ditch. You're the guy that's lying in the ditch. You're, you're bleeding out. You look up. And who do you see coming down the road? It's your enemy. It's the person you hate. It's the person that hates you. What do you want him to do for you? Would you want your enemy to be your neighbor in that moment? And, and if Jesus were telling the story today, he might not say a Samaritan and Jew. He might say a Democrat and Republican. Right? He might, he might say an OSU fan versus a Michigan fan, right? OH. That's terrible. When that's the best response I get on my whole sermon, that's, that's awful. Okay, so anyway, Jesus concludes the story. Verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, 
The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And, and this is the application for every single one of us. Go and do the same. Don't just hear the story. Don't just agree with the story this morning. Let the story impact your heart and your life. Uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a story as to how we love our neighbors as ourselves. When, when, when other people need our help the most, lying there in a ditch on the road is when our love for our neighbor is revealed. It's when we are most like Jesus. But this, this understand me, this particular parable is not simply about being nice to each other, all right? This parable is the gospel. Think of it this way. Jesus is the Samaritan. Jesus chose to come down our path of destruction. He saw you, he saw me lying in a ditch, bleeding out. And Jesus didn't walk around us. In fact, he knew that it would be costly. He knew that it would be dangerous for him to help us. But he went out of his way so that you and I could be restored once again. Thus, the old rugged cross we sang about just a moment ago. And what's more, he has opened up an account with his father and he said, by the way, if they need additional grace, just charge it to my account. That's, that's what Jesus has done for us. And that's the parable. Um, a side note, just because we're nice to people doesn't mean we agree with them, right? It doesn't mean we agree with their lifestyle. If Jesus would have thought that, he would have never had dinner with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and and the people like that. Jesus would have never saved us from our sin if he would have thought like that. God wants us to get near those who oppose him so he can show him that person, the person lying in the ditch, the, the, the love and the grace that he has for them. God wants us to be with them. The golden rule that we learned growing up is what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? The Bible takes that to a whole nother level. Ephesians 4.32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so as Christians, our standard is not just to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, but our, our Christian response is to do unto others as Jesus has done unto us, right? We're talking about the heart of the matter. Listen. New Life Church has been a church that has been blessed in so many ways. And therefore, we are accountable for a lot. All right? Um, Luke 12, 48 says, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We have been entrusted with much as a church and so the question is, who are we as a church? What are we going to do as a church about being so blessed? My hope is that we are a part of the solution in this world for so many things that are wrong. We, we need to be a church that mobilizes everyone, including kids, right kids? Including kids to participate in what God is doing in our world, not simply to be spectators, but to be participators and to be a part of the solution. And God is calling New Life Church of the Nazarene to that. 
I want us to be a church that's passionate. I want us to be a church that's authentic. There should be electricity in the air because the Spirit of God is alive and well in this place and in our kids' program and in our teens' program and with our young adults. And Let's choose to be a church that's known for that's known more for who we love than who we're against, more for what we're for than what we oppose. Let's love people even when they criticize us. Kids, you want to be a part of a church like that? If so, say, yeah. yeah. People who are older than fifth grade, you want to be a part of a church like that? Say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> may, may New Life be a church that doesn't condemn the world. May New Life be a church that doesn't run from the world. May New Life be a church that doesn't blend in with the world. We're not talking about that. But we engage the world one person at a time. I want us to remove all unnecessary barriers that keep people away from Jesus. And, and that doesn't mean to water down the message. That doesn't mean to lower the standard, to lower the bar. That doesn't mean to lighten things up and sugarcoat everything. That doesn't mean any of that. What it simply means is that we grow as disciples not by simply filling our mind with education or knowledge, but by being Samaritans to people who are lying along the road of life bleeding out in the ditch. Let's be a church. Let's be a church that gets over it when our preferences aren't granted or when that thing is changed that we really like not because it's unimportant not because you don't have a legitimate opinion about it but because we have an enemy who is doing everything in his power to distract us with these little disagreements and these secondary issues that won't matter six months from now while people are dying and lost and going to hell as we sit here and argue amongst ourselves May that not be who we are. May new life get on mission because our mission is a message. And that message is life-changing, relevant. It's, it's more than just attending church on Sunday morning. The message is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is well. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. That's the message he allows us the privilege to take part in that mission. I want to be a part of a church like that. Do you? There's a poem. What do you think about that? We sang an old church hymn, and I'm going to read a poem all in the same service. Don't have a heart attack. Ryan, my friend, gave me this poem, and, and I've read it multiple times, and as I've, as I've read it, I thought, man, this, this is me, and this is us. Listen to it. it, it it's awesome. I stand by the door. I stand by the door. I neither go in too far in nor stay 
too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. The door to God. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door should be. They creep along the wall like blind men without, with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing that there must be a door, there must be hope, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for one of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found the door. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. And so I stand at the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house, that, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some, some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call out to the rest of us how wonderful it is. And sometimes I take a deeper look in, sometimes I venture in a little bit farther, but my place seems to be closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and asks of all of us. And these people feel a cosmic kind of a claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them even more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they are spoiled for the old life they have been seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in, they do not see how near these are to leaving because they're preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away, so for them too I stand by the door. I admire the people who go all the way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them and remember they are there too. Where? 
outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper so I stand by the door. Ryan, I want you to lead us again if you would. just a little bit more of that in a moment, but I, I have a couple questions. First of all, is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Troy, I'm one that has not walked through the door, the door to God. Maybe I couldn't find it. Maybe you even knew where it was, but you're afraid to go in. You're afraid of the cost. But for whatever reason, you've not stepped inside the door to meet God as your Lord and Savior. But you want to this morning. You want to take a step inside that door. My first question is this. Is there anybody that would just stand up right where you're at right now and say, Pastor Troy, I want you to pray for me. I want to walk through that door this morning. I want to grab onto the latch of that door this morning and I want to go in. And receive Jesus as my Savior. I'm just going to hold for a moment. Question two. Is there someone here this morning that would say, Pastor Troy, I've walked through that door. This morning, the Spirit of God is really calling me to step up. I've put other things in front of God. Just Life just happens, and I've not really been desperate for Him. And 
Maybe I've just paid attention to all the stuff that's inside the door and I've, I've lost track of the people who are outside the door groping along the wall trying to find the door and the Spirit of God is speaking to me this morning and saying, Pastor Troy, I, I, need, I need to get by the door where I can hear and see the people who need Jesus. Or, or some way, somehow, the Spirit of God in some shape or form is calling you to step up this morning, whatever that might be. Is there anyone like that that would stand up that I could pray for? Just stand up right wherever you're at right now. Amen. 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 Others. Amen. I just, I, I need to step up. I'm, amen. Anyone else? Amen. Awesome. Amen. Could we stand with these folks as we pray? Father, we come to you right now and we just thank you. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit that works in our hearts, that works in our lives, and that speaks to us. Now, Father, I do pray that if there's someone that's outside the door that didn't stand up this morning, that, Father, you would go with them and you would speak to them and you would just let the scales fall from their eyes and let them see how much you love them. Father, I pray for these folks who have stood up that said, hey, I, there's a step I need to take. There's something I need to do. Lord, whatever that is in their life, would you help them? Would you do your work? We just continue to worship you right now. this morning we're going to take a few more minutes if, if you guys are okay with it we, we don't have another big group of people coming in this is it so we can have some fun here and take our time we're going to baptize some folks who have stepped through that door and, and you may be seated if you would and we're going to take just a few minutes to celebrate folks um, who have come and they've said I want the whole world to know that I am a follower of Jesus 
and I appreciate all those who helped get this ready. Um, it was quite a task here the last few minutes before we started service, but I, I want you to know something. It's, it's not about the water. It's not about a tub. It's not about a baptistry. It's not about pouring versus immersion versus sprinkling. I want to tell you what it's about. It's about the heart. Amen? And it's, it's symbolic of what Jesus has done in their heart. And so we have a few folks who are going to come and be baptized. And I think, uh, do we just start? Hannah? I think Hannah? Or was I? Okay, Hannah. Where's Hannah? Hannah here? Yeah, come on up, Hannah. Here, if you come around here, there's a step. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hannah's testimony. My name is Hannah. I've grown up going to church. I used to think it was just another thing I had to do, but in the past few years, I went through some rough patches and through all of the pain. I found myself praying. I realized how much... I needed Jesus in my life. He has brought so much joy and healing to me that I can't even explain. That's awesome. Every day I am excited about the new things he has for me. I want to say a special thank you to Andrew for bringing the love of Jesus back into my life and leading me back, and my mom for always being there when I needed her and helping me on my walk with God. Amen. Can we give her a round of applause? Go ahead and step in here if you would. Yeah, face me over here. Is that okay? Oh, do you have a phone in your pocket? Hey, you guys, take your phones out of your pockets. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Is it okay to take that off? Yeah. Okay. All right, Hannah, if you just want to uh, sit down there, however's most comfortable, I'm going to and scoot way up here. Hannah, I bat if you want to hold your nose, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Oh, yeah. So there's a towel back there, I think she said. All right. All right. I'm going to hold this for you. Ready? Go ahead and hold this. And this church, is church. Amelia Patrick. And I, I mean, I want them to see you here. Stand up for a minute. <laughs> and Amelia, how old are you? She is eight years old, and she asked me to read for her this morning. At the beginning of second grade, I had no friends, and they had just moved to a new school. So she prayed for a few days, and a few days later, there was a new kid in her school, and she was her friend. God answers our prayers, doesn't he, Amelia? Yeah, he does. She said, God helped me and showed me how much he loves me. And now I want to show him that I love him and that he is in my heart. All right. Can you sit down, Super? Whoops. All right. Ready? 
Amelia. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If anyone wants to take pictures, you're welcome. If you have someone up here, or if I'm in your way, just tell me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is Natalie, Natalie Hoffman. And Natalie, can you tell, how old are you? Can you tell us? How old are you? Are you 11, 12? She's 12. (laughs) When she was almost six years old, Her and her younger brother, Donald, got adopted by her family from foster care. She said, my older brothers, Quinn and Colin, told me about Jesus and how great he was. I went through some hard times along the way, but Jesus was helping me and standing with me through the rough times and the good times. I love spreading the news about Jesus to people, and I'm excited today that my birth mom is with us along with the rest of my family here today to celebrate with me. All right, you ready? All right. Natalie, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. hold this for you. You just hold your paper. When I was six, I... Oh, tell them what your name is. My name is Josie, and when I was six, I asked God to be in my heart. And now that I'm seven, I want to get baptized so I will be closer to God. I want to open my heart to his plan for me. Amen. Amen. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. All right, you put your hand over your nose. All right, Josie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, way to go. Ready, Isabel? All right. You, you want me to read it for you, or are you gonna read? Okay. Go ahead and step on in. This is Isabel, Isabel Ish. All right, she says, my name is Isabel. I am eight years old and I want to tell the world that in 2020, I asked Jesus into my heart. All right, ready? Okay, go ahead and sit down. All right, all right, go ahead and put your hand over your nose. Isabel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Woohoo!
privilege to get to know Zach Rigby and his family over the past few weeks. And Zach wants to walk with the Lord. Here's what he says. I am taking this step to further show God that I am ready and open to letting him guide me through the rest of my life. And that I'm ready to accept what he has planned for me and my family. Is that awesome? Zach, uh, I just appreciated getting to know him. God's working some deep things in their life, and he trusts no matter what that God is good. And I've appreciated just um, their trust in him and their faith. And Zach, because of your faith in Christ and the step you've taken in your heart, this is going to be symbolic of what you've done and your desire to walk with him. Zach and uh, Naomi's daughter Charlotte now. So this is Charlotte, Charlotte Rigby. And uh, Charlotte, how old are you? Um, I am 11 years old. She's 11 years old. And Charlotte has given her life to Christ. She has asked Jesus into her heart. Um, and she wants to, to continue to grow in her faith and learn more about God. you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is this awesome or what? Hey, we're going to close with just a song of celebration and uh, glory to God. Hey, where are we going to be next week? Back over at 665 Harcourt Road. What times? 9 and 10.30 for our holiday schedule. If you are new with us today, could I, could I please, please get to meet you following the service? And we'd love to have you next Sunday as well. Uh, this could be your church home. And we could be your church family. That would be awesome. But let's just all stand. Let's worship together.
Take good care. 